This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller and Danny Nelson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello and welcome to Carpe Consensus. This is a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network and I am Ben Schiller. I'm features editor here at Coindesk and joining me today is Danny Nelson. Hey, Danny Nelson. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is a most auspicious day in Bitcoin crypto land. Bitcoin is now approaching the mark of $35,000, which is its highest point for a number of months. Danny, what are you making of this sudden surge of prices? Is this uh, crypto back? Well, there are two things that I think we have to take into account here. First is the month. It is October, otherwise known as October. For whatever reason, Bitcoin is always going up in October. September, not such a good month across the years, but October, you always see a pump. Now, in this October, there's been something a little different, and that is speculation around the Bitcoin ETF and the anticipation that that is an inevitability that is coming soon is driving, I think, prices up to the highest point this year. So if if you bought Bitcoin at the start of the year, I think you'd be up about 100%, which is pretty good. It certainly is pretty good. And it seems like, you know, with the FTX implosion last November, we've taken a whole year to kind of get back to that point. I mean, these ETFs, uh, which are seen as a crucial retail vehicle for bringing more people into the Bitcoin market, I mean, how close are these applications really to being finalized? I mean, there have been a number of these, probably about 10 of them out there now, from major institutions like uh, BlackRock, for instance, which has given a lot of optimism that there will be a lot of people coming into the market and that will buoy the price. But we don't actually know when they're going to be approved, do we? Well, we do and we don't. Assuming that they will ultimately be approved, there's no reason to believe that the SEC will take any less time than it's legally allowed to, which means it will delay, delay, delay until it runs out the clock. And if it does that, then the earliest possible date that these ETFs could go live is January 10th. So it'll actually happen in the start of next year. But the reason why I'd I'd say people are more excited this time around than, than many times previously is, well, at least for me, I'm looking to who's involved. BlackRock this year put up its hand saying, we want an ETF, the Bitcoin iShares ETF. Now, BlackRock getting in the game, you you have to think that they wouldn't try to do something like this unless they were really confident that they were right in that it would launch. Because they're not actually at the front of the line, but if their product launches, it might not matter. And the BlackRock ETF has been taking a lot of steps basically to bolster its image. This week, there was talk about how BlackRock was going to put seed capital in, basically as a bet that this thing would get off the ground. Also, just some bureaucratic things, preparing for this thing to launch. Steps we haven't seen before, which are giving the market a lot more confidence that maybe BlackRock knows something that we don't, and therefore, maybe the Bitcoin ETF is just around the corner. I think it's pretty certain that BlackRock knows things that we don't know, Danny. They're not the only major institution here, right? I mean, we're talking like uh, Fidelity, for instance, and a number of big companies within crypto itself. You know, we could also see players like maybe Coinbase getting into the market, the speculation there. Uh, I mean, just walk us through exactly what would happen if this ETF is approved. I mean, are we talking about just one ETF or several ETFs being approved at the same time, do you think? Well, it's probably most likely that 
many would be approved at once. Now, this is something we didn't really see go off too well with the Bitcoin futures ETF. On that one, the SEC allowed one vehicle into the market, and then a couple days later, the rest. But that basically served as some sort of as a favoritism system because the, the first one got first mover advantage. It got a lot of inbound capital. It grew really big. Then when people are trying to decide between A, B, and C, well, they look at A, it already has hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, they're not going to go to B or C because these products, they're not that different, right? There might be from one to the next marginal fee differences, but they're all going to be very low fee. They're all going to have the same more or less exposure mechanisms as tracking the price of Bitcoin. So it's not going to quite matter which one you buy. I would assume, though, that this, if the SEC is trying to have a fair marketplace, then they're going to approve a couple at once. Or maybe they'll just approve the big kahuna BlackRock and let the others catch up, which they never will. Right. There was an erroneous report last week that the BlackRock application had been approved and that sent the price higher. So that seems pretty good evidence that when they are approved that they you know, will force the price higher. What's your thinking about whether these price rises that we're seeing this morning and, and overnight are actually priced in? Well, I think that it's not fully priced in, in that once these things are live, they will themselves be exerting buy pressure on the Bitcoin market that we haven't seen before, right? Like right now, when Cointelegraph puts up its fake headline about this thing being approved, all the people who already were going to be buying Bitcoin in the spot markets are buying it. But the people who want a Bitcoin ETF, who aren't willing to buy in the spot market, they're not getting in on that news. They're going to get in by buying the ETF once the ETF is live. And if lots of people who never bought Bitcoin before are buying the ETF, well, then the ETF is going to have to acquire the underlying Bitcoin to match the number of shares being issued. And so that will itself be buy pressure. So no, I don't think it's priced in. How much growth there could be, I don't know. But there was a chart from Matt Hogan of Bitwise. It showed the price of gold over years and years. And it's a steady little growth. And then there's a line going down. The line is demarking when the first gold ETF hit the market. And as soon as that gold ETF hits the market, the price of gold shoots up. Now, I don't know if we'll see the exact same thing with Bitcoin, but I think it's safe to assume that we're going to see a lot of activity that we haven't seen before. Someone said to me the other day uh, you know, that they thought crypto was dead because companies were not spending any money. There was a lack of kind of mainstream interest in Web3 and these associated technologies. So I'm just wondering, Danny, is this crypto coming back? Is, is the kind of Bitcoin price going to offer a floor for other innovation that, that kind of comes on top of Bitcoin, whether that's NFTs or stable coins or other sort of innovations that normally build on the price of Bitcoin? Oh, goodness, I hope not. I want the Bitcoin price to go up and everything else to burn. I think that would be the most fun outcome. But on a serious note, I mean, the, the rise in Bitcoin price is putting upward pressure on all the crypto assets. Everything is going up because people are more excited. And when Bitcoin sells off, as it inevitably will, all those assets will follow it down because everything follows the market leader. I think that if Bitcoin continues to rise and big things like an ETF actually do hit the marketplace, there will be more willingness to play in the less proven parts of crypto. If Bitcoin goes up, then there'll be just more of a risk appetite across the board. Right. I don't know if that will be new products or new protocols or the old ones having resurgence, maybe a little bit of both. Right. 
It's worth pointing out that you know the ETF applications are not the only possible driver for this price increase. I mean, there's also speculation that uh, there's less regulatory risk attached to Bitcoin compared to so-called altcoins. There's also you know the whole question of um, Bitcoin being a store of value uh, at a time of inflation. Do you see any of those two explanations, the store of value and the regulatory one, as being any kind of driver here, Danny? Hmm. I don't know. I think that the store of value people are already here, to be quite honest. Like, I don't know why they would have been waiting around through the last couple of years avoiding Bitcoin if they had any reason to get involved. Maybe a couple people. Uh, the regulatory risk, I'm not sure either. It's, it's really hard to read how these situations are going to play out. Right. I mean, personally, I feel those two explanations have been uh, sort of overdone and sort of hyped up in, in the past. I think the, the store of value narrative is, is quite discredited at this point, uh, and the ETF one makes much more sense. Okay, uh, let's move on, Danny, unless uh, you have anything else to add there. I think that's good. All right, let's change gears. Let's get into the shill fest. Ben, what do you bring into the market today? All right, uh, Shillfest is here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm features editor here. I do a lot of special projects, a lot of packages, and we have something called Theme Weeks that we roll out every month, and that's a week of content on a particular theme or topic. And last week, we did something called State of Crypto, which was looking at the policy environment around crypto, particularly in the US. And uh, Coindesk has a conference just happening this week in Washington, D.C., which is also called State of Crypto, to discuss the prospects for U.S. crypto regulations. So we had a lot of uh, pieces out last week covering different aspects of that. And uh, I can tell you more about it if you're interested, Danny. Yes, I'm wondering how many of the lawmakers actually showed up to our event because there's a, a new big kahuna possibly in Washington. Uh, if the current cards settle where they, they seem they might. I mean, it's interesting that Tom Emma, who's the, currently the House Whip, uh, is, is now up for a speaker. And also Patrick McHenry, who's the chair of the Finance Committee in the House, is also a temporary speaker. So crypto for a long time has been sort of vilified and not had many friends in Washington, really. But it could also now have a couple of really high profile people there to, to, to make its bidding. Um, so that's really interesting. And now, Ben, in this policy vacuum, have there been any other power centers that have shown up to sort of guide the way crypto is moving in these markets? The kind of context for this conference and for our package last week is this idea that the US has really fallen behind in terms of legislation and regulation on, on crypto. I mean, there's really no major comprehensive regulation. And there's also one interesting theme from last week, I thought, was that there's this idea that because Congress isn't doing its job. It hasn't passed any major legislation. The power is really devolving both to regulators, but also to the courts. So, um, you know, you find that these bankruptcy courts that are very key to wrapping up, um, you know, companies like FTX when they get into trouble and also other ones like Celsius, they end up making policy on the fly because there's no clear guidance from Congress or even from regulators on, on certain questions. You have bankruptcy judges deciding on, on, on crucial questions around crypto. So, that seems like a very unsavory situation to have a, a single judge in a courtroom deciding on, on, on the future of a whole industry. And it's really testament to the lack of leadership that we've seen in Washington. So Ben, in, these, in this environment, are you thinking that Bitcoin and crypto continues to be politicized? Like, I think that I've at least seen a rightward shift in the rhetoric. Maybe it's going to reverse now. What are you thinking? 
Yeah, I think this has been one of the big themes of the last year, actually, is the politicization of the debate around crypto. I mean, you know, we've been in this game long enough to remember a time when, um, you know, crypto was a strangely bipartisan issue in Washington, where the left and right would agree on uh, the way forward, at least broadly. I mean, they didn't pass any legislation, but there was friends of crypto on both sides of the aisle. And I think we've now seen in the last year in particular, it really becoming a wedge issue going forward. So it's really the Republicans that are really supporting this legislation going forward. And you see that with McHenry and with Emma, uh, whereas it's the Democrats led by a Senator Elizabeth Warren, who launched uh, what she called an anti-crypto army earlier this year, um, who's really against crypto. So I think we're seeing this kind of cleavage between left and right, which is rather unfortunate because a lot of this legislation isn't really very kind of political in, in the sense that it, it doesn't really affect the constituencies that uh, these two parties claim to look after. And you get the sense that it's really just about political messaging. Now, Ben, surely you can't truly think that politicians are more about posturing than actually getting things done. Is that what I think I'm hearing? I think that's exactly what I'm saying. And I think crypto is just the, the latest example of that, right? It's easy to demonize because it has its problems, you know, a lot of kind of frauds and, and scandals and in, in a political sense, it's very easy to tie it to shenanigans on Wall Street in, in other financial markets that we've seen before, and it's easy to, to rail against. But um, actually, you know, by railing against something like sensible stablecoin legislation, all uh, Senator Warren and others are really doing is, is, is harming the people that she claims to look after and to stand for. And I think uh, this sort of disingenuousness around these issues is, is kind of crazy. Ben, give us one more thing about regulation. Okay, well, I think one interesting thing, I mean, looking at the policy debate in DC recently is that, you know, in, in the last few, I mean, I've been in covering crypto for eight, nine years, and uh, for a long time, there was no kind of representation for crypto in DC. And then there was some representation from some of the trade groups for, for the industry. Um, but now I think you're seeing more of a kind of mainstream lobbying effort on the behalf of these companies like BlackRock, which are pushing a slightly different agenda to the kind of native crypto companies. And I think you see that at our event this week, where the debate now, the kind of grown-up debate, is being dominated by these big financial companies rather than these more crypto-native companies. And I think that leads to a slightly different agenda in terms of what crypto looks like going forward. I think it's more about you know stable coins and issues like money laundering, ETFs, for instance, rather than some of these more old school crypto type issues around, say, privacy or, uh, you know, decentralization, all these sort of highfalutin ideas that we all love and, and, and care about, but aren't necessarily mainstream issues. And they're certainly not issues for hard-nosed companies like BlackRock or Fidelity. Now, Ben, how does this all factor into the 2024 presidential election? Yeah, so there's a lot of speculation about how the, the, the general election next November could impact prospects for legislation going forward. Because, I mean, typically what happens in an election year is that nothing gets done because, you know, one side doesn't want to give the other side any kind of wins that they can take into the political marketplace. So um, that might stymie some legislative efforts. But the betting is that the stablecoin bill is the most likely to pass. And I, and I tend to agree with that. You know, it sort of makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of backing across the board, left and right, and you know, traditional financial industry and crypto industry to really get that stablecoin bill passed. So I, I think of, of all the legislation that's out there at the moment, that seems likely to happen before the election. Although um, if we really get into it next year, then who knows? 
Guess you're going to have to keep listening to uh, the Carpe Consensus podcast to find out. We are, it should be known, the number one source for election news. So you got you, you better listen here first to find out who won. It's true. It's very true. So you've been listening to the great Danny Nelson. This is Carpe Consensus. I'm Ben Schiller. And thank you very much for hanging out with us. We enjoy doing this with you. And please, if you have any comments or suggestions or ways in which we can improve the show, then please uh, let us know. And you can email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Please let us know. We're always open to feedback. Or you could find us on the street. Thank you to those uh, listeners who have been talking to us in person. We always appreciate the feedback. Bye. Bye. Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week.